There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Wannabe, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Happy Black History Month. I'm, of course, Imriel Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast community that specializes in empowering and amplifying underrepresented voices, specifically women, people of color and LGBTQIA plus people. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Wannabe's focus is to help you take consistent action to build a successful life and career in the creative and entertainment industries. But this month, we're going to spend some time looking back as well as looking forward. Today's guest is the self-proclaimed Gen Z historian, Khalil Green. Khalil Green is an online educator with around 500,000 followers across TikTok, Instagram and LinkedIn. He was recently profiled in the New York Times for his digital education work. And in addition to being a viral historical communicator, Khalil is currently studying the history of social change at Yale University, where he was also elected the first black student body president in Yale's 318 year history at just 19 years old. This kid is a boss. In today's interview, Khalil and I talk openly about the importance of sharing black history across different cultures and geographies. Khalil reveals how his experience in education has enabled him to develop his unique teaching style. And he shares how he's able to look past the traumas and keep spreading the word about our history. Let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I think there have been a few careers throughout my life that I know I wanted to have. One of them is a teacher. Like, I always wanted to be a high school teacher. I think a lot of the fiction that I used to read as a kid always took place in, like, some special school, whether it was, like, Percy Jackson or X-Men in the School for Gifted Youngsters. Like, I was just really into, like, this speculative fiction where, like, kids at some age go to this amazing school and, like, learn how to control their powers. Pretty random. But I just loved, like, the idea of, like, teachers and community and, like, learning and growing to, like, really hone in on your skill sets. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a teacher. There was a long time where I did want to just be famous and rich. I used to watch <laughs> MTV Cribs yes. as a kid. And then I think other than that... um, I really wanted to be a lawyer for a long time. I don't want to as much now, but I just like the idea of public speaking and changing minds. Like that's something I do now in the career that I have, which we'll get into. But just the idea of changing minds and being a lawyer, being a teacher and like contributing to a community where people are learning and growing in really cool ways. And then that celebrity aspect of the MTV Cribs. I think (laughs) those three things encompass my idea of a great profession for most of my life. Arguably, you've managed to kind of carve a space that, is all of those things because you are very 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 successful content creator now making history largely accessible to the masses you're public speaking because of the content that you create and you're teaching like (laughs) you managed to kind of create that so what's what's missing 
Um, as of right now, honestly, it's just scale. I want to reach more people. I want to diversify the different platforms that I'm on. Right now, it's mainly just social media by way of TikTok and Instagram. Mm-hmm. But I want to write books. I want to do more public speaking like in itself and giving straight up speeches to large audiences. I think I, like you said, I try to curate this sort of mix of all of the th- amazing things. And it kind of landed upon me in a random way, just from the rise of TikTok. And who could have known that that was going to be a thing two years ago or three years ago? But it is working out. So now I'm just trying to grow. I love that. Speaking of the public speaking side of things and using your voice, essentially, how did you kind of navigate cultivating that voice and, you know, making it, I guess, what would be so accessible and so easy to understand and touch and reach people so far like you've done such a great job of being able to break down these really complex ideas really complex histories and make it really easy to digest and understand for people but that's partly down to research and planning surely but also a part of that is your voice and it's a unique and distinct voice as well so how have you cultivated that yeah I'd say writing and talking a lot nice practice exactly practice like I think the skill that I say kids need the most, like if I was asked at a former panel I was on, like, what do we need to teach our black kids? I was just like writing well and articulating themselves. And I don't mean like the Western, like mm-hmm. saying things in a proper way, but just being able to critically think and explain their ideas to other people in whatever way communicates effectively, whatever audience they're in front of, just because writing just helps you form thoughts out of nowhere. The page is blank. You're using your own words. You're writing it down. You're recording it so you can reread it and you have in front of other people so they can assess whether or not they're understanding what you're saying. So I used to write a lot of op-eds. Like I have one published in the Washington Post. Nice. Another one published in the LA Times related to like equity and diversity. But I had written so many more. Like the ones you see published, it's always the tip of the iceberg that you see and the underneath that you don't. So I just think I used to write and practice writing so much. And then talking is a big one that I think, like, I have a lot of qualms with Yale, but I will say one thing that they do teach you how to do is communicate effectively. The first way is, like, outside of the classroom. So a lot of my friends are, like, majoring in ethnicity, race, and migration, Mm -hmm. or sociology, or they're just, like, people of color and they have experiences. And we debate and argue about all types of things all the time. And I love to debate, as I said, like, with the whole lawyer thing. So I think that just helps you grow and learn. And then also inside the classroom, we have something called seminars where a bunch of students are gathered around a table discussing either like literature or writing or a concept or history. And to really like do well in seminar, you can't just say things from your butt. Like you have to (laughs) form your thought and you have to say it within like 30 seconds in a way that the whole class can understand in a way that incorporates the discussion. And all like now that I'm doing TikTok and all these other things, you're seeing the sort of culmination of all that practice just into one minute videos. I love that so much because it reminds me of, in the UK, the education system is divided as it is in the US too, I imagine, actually. There's like private school and then there's state. (laughs) And state schools are a real mixed bag depending on where you live. What you can get out of a school can be wildly different from one school to the next sometimes. But something that um, I experienced with private school kids, I didn't go to private school, by the way, but I mixed with them when I got to university And they have a confidence in their ability to voice and express opinions and also their households and how they grow up. And it was largely, unfortunately, it was largely the kind of white middle class and up kids that were confident and had the ability to practice debate and practice arguing and fighting back. And actually, I think to some extent uh, with minorities and parenting, 
there's such an authoritarianism in, in some of our parenting practices and cultural practices that means that you don't get to question authority or you don't get to question adults, which I think actually can be quite stifling for our ability to, you know, think, not necessarily think critically, but to at least question and form debates in the household. And that's kind of like a really good starting ground. What was your kind of background and your parents and your household upbringing like? Because did they foster and encourage that (laughs) within you? Or did that kind of largely come from outside that you then use in another way? I wouldn't say that they strongly did or did not foster it. I think it depended on circumstance. If it was arguing with them, then no. Mm. Um, but if we're arguing <laughs> in a certain scenario, then yes. So like if I came home from school and I was like, this teacher sent me to detention, but there were no grounds to do so. Because otherwise, if there was like a reasoning, then I would get beat. But like <laughs> if there wasn't, then I'll be like, hey, like this happened. They're like, oh, like, why would you let them do that to you? Like you need to like go up to them and like, not disrespect them, but, like, it's, like, advocate for yourself because mm-hmm. as a black man, like, you'll be put in a lot of situations like this. Like, if it's a police officer, they always said just do whatever it takes to get home. That was their advice. Mm-hmm. But in other circumstances in life, like, especially when it came to professional life and careers, they always taught me to, like, advocate for myself and just stand up for myself in those regards, not to them. But I think to ex- explain what you said about my, like, upbringing, so... There's something in America called Title I schools, which are schools that need federal assistance um, because like the property taxes, which is how we fund our public schools, aren't enough to like really keep the school going. So my elementary school is a Title I school and both my elementary and my middle school, Mm -hmm. they both had less than 5% white kids. And I mean, I enjoy the experience. Like there's that whole woe is me. Like I went to an underfunded school and there was like crime. Like, I mean, there were those things, but I enjoyed that more than any other school I've ever been to my entire life. But I will say, like, the academics of it all, they weren't, like, the priority of most of the students there. We were just trying to have fun, hang with our friends. Um, so that wasn't something that we really cultivated in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But I will say, like, I went to a magnet school for my high school because this county that I'm in, in, in the Maryland, is very segregated. So there are per- certain public schools where the property taxes and the funding around them make them really diverse but underfunded in some ways. I think it was, like, a place the academics were better. But I didn't learn much just from, like, how horrible the social environment was. I was the only black kid in my magnet program specifically. So like, I think it was, I think just because something has better academics doesn't mean you're learning better, especially if it's not with other people that are like you or who will help you or cultivate the sense of identity that you need to also be successful in school and academics. But I will say at Yale, it was probably more of a perfect storm of like, there were enough black kids and black students and friends that I had for me to like have this identity and want to engage with the classroom. And then the classrooms themselves were obviously like very like well-organized and tried and tested modes of learning that I think were very successful, at least for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's a really strong point, actually, because it is it isn't just about the school. It's about the environment that the school cultivates and also feeling that you belong. And that sense of belonging is so important to all of our development, even as we get into older adult age as I am (laughs) I appreciate you kind of making that um, that delineation between the two because it is important I would love to touch on history because you call yourself the Gen Z historian which is fantastic so clear (laughs) cuts right to the point that (laughs) you know what you're gonna get I have a lot of friends who are historians I was going to be a historian at one point so I have a lot of love for history and this is why I was so excited to speak to you and I've been following you for a while and so I have a lot of like love for the space and I love to see black and brown people taking up space in history and owning those spaces. So more power to you for being in the space and really like just killing it the way you are. 
But what do you see as the future of history? And how do you see it evolving beyond like the academic spaces that it tends to be what we see and know of history or even like the hobbyist historians? Where do you see history going and how do you see it kind of broadening out into the wider public? Yeah, I think it probably will happen along two spectrums. The first one is just like the stories, the actual stories that are being told. I think as more people have access to iPhones and internet and they have more people that they can look up to, people of color who are historians, they'll start sharing more of their histories or things that they've heard of that have been well-researched or well-publicized. There are a lot of small stories like of People, a lot of times after I make a video, will hit me up and be like, yeah, like my family's from XYZ place, Mississippi, and this was something that happened. And like, there'll be a few sparse articles that then I can parse into like an actual TikTok. But I think delving into those stories, I think more people will come up with things and share them widely. I think that's number one. Number two, I think is the immersive effect of different platforms. So I think TikTok allows you to be very clear, concise, quick. You have visuals, you have a story that you're telling, and it's reshareable, so you can send it to your friends. So I think that immersiveness into like history, I'll give a good example, but basically there are some history courses at Yale where there's a professor who's been at Yale for 60 years who sits down with his notes and reads off point by point what happened from... <laughs> like 1000 BC to 1050 BC and then the next class is like the next 50 years and there are other professors like Professor Mary Lou she'll have slides and videos and like a narrative and almost rhetoric that bolsters the message that she's sharing and it's an immersive experience as opposed to just listing information and I think as new platforms come out the immersion of of people of the audience into the actual history itself will be greater and greater due to technology. Yeah, I agree. I think technology has a lot to answer for when it comes to not only democratizing information, but also just the dissemination, how quickly things can spread. And actually to see, especially black history, be so widely shared, actually. Uh, and it's not just it's not just black people sharing black history now. It's like white people are sharing it. And <laughs> you're like, oh, that's nice. Thanks. Sometimes I'm encountering my own history through white allies um, <laughs> because they just found it and thought it was really interesting or just completely flabbergasted them and they're expressing shock. <laughs> but I really love that because I think, yeah, to some extent, I think that with most academic subjects, actually the, the people that are going to do well in the future are the ones that can break it down and make it digestible. I would love to know about your like process of creation. How much time are you spending researching and then creating the content that you're making? Because it is one minute videos, but it's a lot of information is packed into those 60 seconds. Yes. When I started out, I made it in about like, let's say an hour or two for every video from inception of idea to video posted on TikTok. And that's mainly because like they were pretty simple arguments, stories that I could easily find access on the internet. I just like left out a lot of the details. I just try to just get stuff out there mm -hmm. and it was a lot quicker. And now like one, I'm not using TikTok as my main platform anymore. I'm using Instagram and those are longer form videos, but also TikTok has three minute videos as well. So now a lot of it boils down to the fact that like, I want to have to do more research to stuff more content for a longer, more nuanced argument, which I, I have pleasure in like the, production like the the final product now than like when I just try to stuff everything into this one minute content mm -hmm. but it does take a lot longer it's like a lot of burnout and it, I would probably say average maybe like five or six hours from start to oh, finish wow. now which is why like I've I haven't really been able to like fall into a routine especially now that I'm in college but it does take a while to get these things done 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I can imagine it takes a long time just to make a half an hour podcast. So, yeah. I mean, and there's no visuals involved and I'm yeah. so grateful. The process of content creation is largely misunderstood if you're not in in the business of making content it's a lot of work and yeah like you said you're in college and how are you, how are you feeling about the sudden and big success that you you have experienced i'm really grateful for it like i love it i formerly had a job in corporate america um that i didn't like necessarily see myself doing for a long time but luckily now i like am able to sustain myself and full-time delve into something that is the perfect mix of the three things we talked about. Because mm-hmm. even like a year ago, I wasn't on a trajectory to do that once I graduated. So I say a lot of it was obviously effort and curating for myself something that, or carving out at least a space that I would really enjoy and I knew I would enjoy. But a lot of it was also kind of like random luck and chance. So I think between those two things, I'm feeling really good about this. People actually like, oh, what do you regret about your Yale experience or anything else? And it's like, dang, if I really went back in time and like, woke up a minute later on any given day throughout my time at Yale, there's a chance that this didn't happen. So like, I'm, I feel like no regrets about anything now. It just feels really good. Nice. I love that. That sounds great. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know if I could wake up and just be like, oh, a lot of attention on me. But I'm <laughs> a person that works in audio for a reason. Like I like to be behind and hidden and mm-hmm. no one needs mm-hmm. to know who I am. So I actually have like a tremendous amount of respect for people that actually really enjoy kind of being in the limelight and having that attention and also you use it so responsibly and so well and where others struggle or or, or are unable to kind of deal with that kind of sudden and rapid growth and it feels like I've kind of watched you pretty much from like March I would say kind of grow and evolve but your voice has been consistent like you are consistent with your content and I think that's really commendable and something that a lot of people should aspire to because honestly uh, it's so easy to kind of see the success and then feel like feel pressure to change or feel pressure to adapt and evolve and obviously you're adapting and evolving to improve the content to give more to deliver more rather than oh, I just want to make some, some viral content and I don't get the sense that that's the direction you're you're heading in. It's genuinely trying to give information, which is so important. I'd say that for me, it started off kind of like pursuing virality a lot more than it is now. Just because I was like, like the tagline for my videos was, here's creepy, crazy and covered up American history. Um, and it was like sort of in this, not true crime, but like maybe like true oppression sort of. These are all real stories. I wanted to publicize how brutal American racism was, but a lot of them had like a sort of shock value to them mm. um, that I think was like, it's just innate in the story. I didn't add anything. I didn't like use any macabre photos or anything like that. But if I'm going to incorporate that, like I want to incorporate more of a nuanced argument, 
or more social commentary or like actionables to them. Um, so they have more of a purpose than just like being on TikTok, which I think the expansion of the length of these videos allows me to do a lot more. And also on your point regarding like the limelight. So a lot of people don't know this who follow me now, but I was student body president of Yale for a time and the first black student body president. And that was something where like I was constantly in front of a lot of people, like 6,000 kids who all have very strong opinions about every single political topic. Some of these people are like the grandsons of JFK or the children of Bill Clinton. And so a lot of people here have a lot of political opinions. And I think just being a, a space where I was like, at the constant critique of people who I see in my real life, I think that there was also a virality to that that also gave me tough skin for a role like this in social media. Nice. Yes, that kind of preparing you for it beforehand. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Congrats on that, by the way, because it Thank seems you. like there was like a lot of uh, there was a lot of talk about that separate to <laughs> the TikTok stuff. I think yeah. it also just comes up in addition to because people like to throw numbers around, which is important. But yeah, congratulations, because that is a, a really big deal, <laughs> like a huge deal, especially at an institution like Yale. I would love to know, because you are looking at history, you're looking at largely black history or BIPOC history. As you're looking at this history, some of it is traumatic and violent. How are you protecting yourself from, you know, harm or you know trauma when you're kind of digging up and unearthing these facts i say i think that's a question that i get very often and i think the true answer is that like you just really become numb to it and i think i became numb to it way before i started making tiktoks or anything like that because my parents used to talk about these things a lot to me um from a very young age and i think there's different levels of awakening that a lot of people are having like there are some people who have no idea that racism existed there are people who know but didn't know it was this bad um, and this is all across all races, like not even judging anyone for like where they are in that spectrum. But I think just from like my upbringing, my parents and like extended family used to talk about these things all the time. I remember I think I like either heard a narration or like was watching Roots with one of them yeah. when I was like a very young age. Honestly, I think too young, but it's just something that did happen because like these are people who have generations in America and America is just like, terrible. So like. These people have generations in America, at least on my dad's side. My mom's side is from Jamaica. So between those two places, like, there's no shortage of horrible things that have happened. And at least in their minds and the minds of my family, like, it was important for me to learn these things. Just, like, have a clear view in the world and, like, how terrible and messed up things are. So, like, honestly, coming into middle school is, like, I had, like, a really profound understanding of, like, a lot of these things um, that I think a lot of people who have similar backgrounds to me have. But I think just a lot of just by way of just migration and other things, America, a lot of people who are in America now haven't been here for generations and have like a like are learning about these things now from this day and age or from their classrooms or whatever the case may be. And a lot of people who have known about these things for a long time still have an effect on them. But I think just for me, I've kind of numbed myself to it a long time ago. So it's just like matter of fact at this point, it's like, yeah, like this place sucks. They're horrible. There's like these terrible, horrific stories. Here they are, just you can learn from them. Yeah. Weirdly, when you were describing um, how you came into the history, same. My parents basically just, this is what you need to know. I mean, I'm from the Caribbean too, and Caribbean slavery was, the torture was also just awful, just Mm-hmm. awful and I think you're right it's, there's oh, I, I don't know if I would describe my experience as being numb to it but I'm I think I am quite like pragmatic like these things yeah. happen they are awful and if I have to w- re-watch things I feel very like moved by it but I, I feel like I also have like a, a, le- a level of separation where my anger can be manifested in 
productive and manageable ways. That's like, okay, well, this happened and this is what needs to happen now to rectify what happened. So can we get some reparations, please? But we move. We don't need to go into a whole a whole debate <laughs> there. I have two questions. Do you mm-hmm. have a favorite moment in Black history that you'd like to share? A favorite moment in Black history that I'd like to share? Honestly, Motown, like that era of Motown where they were just like coming out with hits after hit after hit. And I guess it was called like Hit Town USA or whatever they were recording studio wise. I think that was probably one of my favorite moments just because like all those things are everlasting. And like they were like a testament to just like black creativity mm-hmm. uh, in a very streamlined way. So just I still listen to Motown music all the time. But I think the era of Motown is probably one of my favorite moments. That's a really good moment. I, mine's like the Haitian Revolution <laughs> because of the massacres. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, revenge. Love it. Uh, you're yep. like, Motown, black joy, excellent, creativity. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to have that as a backup just in case the, the mood yeah. isn't right. <laughs> That's funny. And finally, I would love to know, what is the best advice you've received and what's the worst advice you've received? I think the worst advice I received is like people who, when you come into college, like one of the earliest conversations I had with my dean was like, hey, like I'm trying to get a job. Like I came here and my parents said, like, you need to have like a really good job. You need to like kind of be pre-professional. And she was like, no, you just need to focus on exploring and like learning and like academics. She didn't say without regard to the other stuff, but like that was pretty much what was implied. And I think it was bad advice because I find that a lot of times when people have like either like a goal or something that they need, that you kind of have to, like, stick to it. Like, you can't just, like, distract yourself entirely with things that are, like, fun or explorative. I think a lot of kids, depending on your resources, you can. A lot of times people have interests or goals, but especially in like, this academic space, there's a lot of aversion to people being very pre-professional or, like, direct on what goals they want, at least that I found in, like, liberal arts college. Um, I think it was that was like kind of some of the worst advice I I heard because it was basically telling me to like forego the sort of drive and energy and passion and fire that I have to really build something for myself post graduation and instead subscribe to this more like ethereal exploration finding yourself sort of model and I think it just didn't work for me so I think mm. just because it was so untailored for me that's why it was one of the worst advice that I heard and I kind of just like I inst- I was just always obsessed with extracurriculars and pre professional and classes were like probably the third tier of what was important for me. And I think that really made me successful. And I think the best advice that I have is like more clear. It's the best advice that I have comes from actually Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, and it was this one scene. I don't know if anyone is familiar. I'm sure in the UK, it's it's a huge hit. I love Game of Thrones. Um, I love Game of Thrones too. And the best advice that I have comes from season four of Game, and Th- Game of Thrones. And it was when Joffrey had just recently died. And I think people were cheering for that. He's the evil, he was the evil like king, like a teenager. And his brother was being ascended to the throne, his younger brother, King Tommen. And the grandfather was like, if there's a war between a country that has a bunch of ships and a huge military and a country that has all the food in the land, which one do you support? And then I think he said, like, maybe the one with the ships, because they can take over. Um, but then the grandfather was like, wrong, that's the wrong answer. And he was like, well, like, what is the right answer? And the grandfather was like, you don't know. So you should always listen to your advisors and consult your advisors. That's like the main point of the of the um, the storytelling and the narrative was just that like whenever you're in a position where you don't know what's happening, you do your research, you consult other people because making a decision on your own is just like usually not going to lead to the best outcome. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. 
But like even when I was doing body president, I had a board of advisors I always listened to. I run my TikToks by a lot of people. I just always try to get advice from a lot of different sources. So I don't ever make decisions just based on my own perspective because that's not a complete narrative or a comprehensive way of, of doing things, I think, in life. I love that, actually. That's quite genius and so right. <laughs> <laughs> but that is really solid advice. And I think that's really important. Consult other people. Get other opinions. Bring other people in to, you know, explore what it is that you're trying to say and what you're trying to do. And you're right, like, we're not islands, we're sociable beings. So, yeah, I love that. That's really great advice. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so in awe of this young man. He's really just come up and taken all this attention in his stride. Please do check out Khalil's work over on Instagram at khalil.green. That is K-A-H-L-I-L dot green with an E at the end. Honestly, you'll learn so much. I still do. I hope this half an hour has made you think, reflect and contemplate what your next step should be. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends or on social media where we can spread the word and grow the podcast, which would be phenomenal. If you're a podcaster or thinking you can do what I do, please do check out contentisqueen.org where you can access free resources, talks and news as well as joining our community. That's contentisqueen.org if you're interested. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, bye. This is a Content is Queen production hosted by me, Imriel Morgan. Edited by Joseph Perry. Sound designed by Amber Miller. Music and sound effects are from Epidemic Sound. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.